please keep your Bibles open. Um, It's a big chapter, so we're only going to focus on the first eight verses. But hopefully the rest of the chapter helps you to understand what we're about to unpack. Um, We could spend all week on this passage, uh, and we still would only be scraping the surface. So please keep your Bible open um, and keep those other verses in mind. Uh, But we're going to pray. We're going to commit this uh, to the Lord and ask that we might hear from him. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come now to your word, words of life. And we pray that we might indeed hear you, that we might see you, that we might know you. Help us to grasp these words of life that we might live for you. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been out and about, whether you're on a holiday or whether you're just out for a walk and then you catch a glimpse of something in creation? Maybe it's early in the morning and you catch a glimpse of the sun breaking over the horizon. Or the waves as they break on the shore. The trees swaying in the wind. Or a flower that's just come into bloom. And it just stirs in you a sense of hope, a sense of rest, a sense of freedom, or just joy. I wonder if you've had a moment like that. Where do you go in life to find hope, to find joy, to find freedom? What are the signposts of your past that you go back and go, life's not that bad, it's going to be okay? What are the things that you look to? What are the things that will anchor you in life to keep persevering, to keep going? As John writes this letter to the early church, it was a time when they were facing social pressures. Social pressures, particularly in their religious freedoms. And there were laws that were beginning to come into place that were pressuring them to conform, particularly to worship the emperor, to worship the king. In the years, decades leading up to this time, persecution was slowly increasing. And so Paul writes to them, uh, John writes to them, where would they find their hope? What would anchor them in this time? as society changed around them. And last week, if you were here with us, we saw Moses meet God for the first time at the burning bush. And he asks God, what is your name? Essentially, who are you? And God says to him, I am who I am. And God gives him a sign that when Moses delivers the people out of slavery in Egypt, they will worship him at the mountain that God 
had revealed himself to Moses. And that was for Moses a sign of the future, an anchor point, a signpost of God's goodness and his sovereign power. That he would bring them through to that time. And so today is a bit of a piggyback off that. Because what we see here is another revelation of the I am. We see it throughout the Old Testament. We see it in Jesus who says, I am. Throughout John and he reveals the various characteristics and purposes of God. But at the final moment of the scriptures we see here in Revelation, this I am revealed again. And so we begin with the revelation of Jesus Christ. This word revelation is where we get the word apocalypse. This is the apocalypse of Jesus. The disclosure, the appearing, the manifestation of Jesus Christ. And it is given by God. Why? Well, it says there to show his servants what must soon take place. And so they are given this revelation, they are given this letter, this apocalypse to prepare them of what will come. And it is John who testifies to the word of God. And that word of God is nothing less than Jesus. And what's the purpose of this? To prepare them for what is to come, but also to bless them. And so Sarah is now blessed for reading this. But we are blessed by hearing it and taking it to heart. And that's my prayer that... As you hear the word of God, not just this chapter, but as you hear the word of God, not only do you hear it, but you take it to heart. Take these things to heart. I still don't quite get this, but people keep telling parents to treasure the moments that they have with their children because they just grow up too fast. I'm still working that out. But there is something to treasure here because life just runs away. We go through our week and we look back and we go, what have we done? What have we accomplished? And as disciples of Jesus, we go, how have I spent time with God? How have I walked with him? And yet we are told here to treasure what we hear. To take hold of those moments as we hear the word of God. To take it to heart. Why? Because the time is near. The time is near. And I want to just stop for a moment right there. Because right at the start of this letter, we see God's heart for his people. To bless them. Because you can read this, right? We can read, we can hear God's word, and it's just information. It's just some guy up the front telling us what he knows. But this is God's heart. The whole point of this letter is for God to encourage, to give his people hope. And so right here, I want you to see God's heart to bless his people. To give them hope. To give them joy. How does he do that? By testifying to the word of God. Testifying to Jesus. 
God's heart to give his people hope, to give his people freedom, to give them joy in life and in the future comes through Jesus. And that's his heart. And that's why we want to make much of Jesus. That's why we keep pointing to Jesus. Because it's not just a figure in which we find salvation. It's not just a figure that gives us a guide to how to live. It's the solution to our longings, to our problems, to our desires. And that's God's heart for us. God's heart for the world. That as his word is heard, as it's read, as it's proclaimed, that people would hear God's heart to bless them, to love them. Not just to save them from sin, but to give them joy, to give them life. And so we want to make much of Jesus because that's where it's found. Now, much like much of the letters of the Bible, there's a format. It, it opens in a very predictable kind of way. And here in verse 4, we have this greeting. And it's tempting to just skip through it. But it's hard to do it when you sit down and look at it. Because this is not just a greeting. It is filled with rich encouragement. Because what do we see? John blesses and he reminds his readers that grace and peace come from God. And who is this God? It's the Trinity. It is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Grace and peace come from the one who is, was, and is to come. This is an echo all the way back to Exodus. I am who I am. It is the unchanging nature of God. He is, he was, and he is to come. He will never change. But he is also the spirit, the seven spirits before the throne. That is the Holy Spirit who ministers to the church. God has sent his spirit to his people to serve, to minister to them. And he is also the one where we find grace and peace. And grace and peace also come from Jesus Christ. The faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. And here what we have is a picture of the Messiah. These are all the things that God's people had been waiting for. The chosen king, the Messiah. He is the one who will testify to the truth. He is the one who will be the firstborn of God's people. And he is the ruler of the kings of the earth. He is the Lord of lords, the king of kings. Remember that this is written to a people who are being pressured to worship a different king. To worship the emperor. And yet here... Grace and peace is found in another king. The one who testifies to the truth. The one who is the firstborn of the dead. And the one who is the true king. The true ruler of all the kings of the earth. That's where grace and peace is found. Grace and peace is found as we come to God. The God who is and was and is to come. The God who ministers and serves his people. Who is present with us always. Who indwells us. 
the God who is the King of kings and Lord of lords. This is where grace and peace is found. That gives us hope, doesn't it? It gives us encouragement that if we are looking for grace, if we're looking for peace, that we have somewhere to find it. It's not fleeting, but it's found in our God. And this naturally leads to praise. And that's what John does. He follows this with praise, with a doxology, a praise to the glory of God. And so he gives glory and power to this king, not to the kings of the earth. And it's overflowing with description. This is the one who loves us. This is the one who has freed us from our sins by his blood. This is the one who has made us to be a kingdom, a nation, a people. He has made us as priests to serve his God and Father. This is the one who loves us. What king is described as loving? What prime minister, what president, what authority in our world is described as loving? Here we have a God who is loving, who loves his people. Do you grasp that? That here we have a God who loves us who desires to be in relationship with us. And to make that happen, he frees us from our sin. The very thing that becomes an obstacle to a relationship with him, he frees us from that by his blood. We keep coming back to this. But this is the heart of the gospel. This is the heart of who God is. That he loves his people and he frees them from the very obstacle that gets in the way. And he does that by going to the cross and the shedding of his blood. But it doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. He makes us to be a kingdom. This king turns these people that he frees, that he loves, into a kingdom. Now, you may not get the significance of that because we live in a free country. We live with freedom. If you're born here, then you get citizenship by natural birth. If you immigrate here, you can become a citizen and then you get all the perks. But Jesus, as king, makes people into a kingdom. He gives them an identity. He gives them a belonging. And as people who live in the world, he protects them. He goes with them. If you're in a foreign country and you're in trouble, you go to the embassy and they will provide you the services and support that you need. 
We live in a world separate from the kingdom of God at this time. And Jesus gives us an embassy in the church, in his people, to find support, to find services where we can be encouraged and supported through life. Jesus makes us into a kingdom, into a people where we belong. We're in a world where you may not belong. Jesus gives you a place to belong. He gives you a home. He gives you a place. And he gives you an identity. That's life-changing. It's no secret that there are asylum seekers and refugees who are looking for a place to belong. And for various reasons, it's a difficult process. But here we have a God who loves his people, who frees them and gives them a place to belong. But not only that, he gives them a purpose. He makes us priests to serve his God and Father. Now that word priest is probably loaded with imagery in your mind and you're like, why would I want to be a priest? But see... A priest is one of the cushiest jobs you could ever have. See, in the ancient world, to be a priest meant you got to live off the offerings and the sacrifices that people gave. As, we, as you go through the Old Testament, the priests are given land. God gives them land. They don't have to do anything. They get given this land. The sacrifices that the Israelites offer at the temple, a portion of that is given to the priest. They don't have to go and farm the animals. They don't have to go and work for it. And in the ancient world, you have the government, you have the nation giving to the temples to appease the gods. You want to be a priest, it's a cushy job. And what do you do? You spend the day Carrying out these duties to the praise of God. If I could spend my life doing that, if, if my job was to come alongside people to receive their offerings and sacrifices and pray for them, to receive their offerings and sacrifices so I could praise God. If, if that was my job and I didn't have to go out and do anything, that'd be pretty good. See, to be a priest in God's kingdom is one, to have a purpose and a mission, but also to have a level of freedom where actually... Everything is provided for. See, the purpose of a priest is to be freed to serve God. Freed to give glory to God. And so everything else is provided for. All the worries of life are provided for. So that you can focus your sole attention on serving God. And so he is a God who enters into a relationship with us. 
He is a God that frees us from the obstacles that get in the way. He is the God who gives us belonging, identity, a home. But he's also a God who gives us purpose. So we no longer have to strive in life. We don't have to strive to achieve. We don't have to strive to make our ends meet. We don't have to strive for these things because he has given us a purpose. He has given us a task, a mission to just simply serve him, to focus our attention solely on him. And so here we have a king. We have Jesus who doesn't sit at a distance in glory and power, but he steps into our world. And he accomplishes all these things for his people. And so our right response should be like that of John. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. And one day, he is coming. He is coming. And every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all the peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. And what we have in this verse is a series of prophecies that come together to remind John's readers, to remind us that Jesus is the promised Messiah. He is the one who is God's King and He will come. And everyone will see Him, that He is the one that God promised. Even the ones who pierced Him. And all peoples on earth will mourn. See, everyone will see who Jesus truly is, including those who crucified him, those whose sins led Jesus to the cross, not just those who nailed him to the cross, not just the ones who took him to court so that he would be condemned, not just the one who... Chanted on the street to crucify him. All who sinned to bring him, to take him to the cross. That's us. We'll see him for who he is. Every eye will see. And their response to seeing who Jesus is will be mourning. There will be two kinds of mourning. There will be A joyful mourning, a grieving, but a a joyful mourning as we see Jesus pour out his love and grace for our sins. As people see Jesus, the one who has gone and shed his blood on the cross to forgive us of our sins, there will be mourning and grieving because of our sin. It will be a joyful one as we come and we receive, as we accept the forgiveness that is in Jesus. There will be a mourning of our sin. But there will be another kind of mourning. Another kind of mourning as people who have lived their lives ignorant of Jesus, without Jesus, who have heard him and turned him away. And they will mourn because they see him for who he truly is. They will see the judgment that is coming and they will mourn. Because they see Jesus not only as the King and Saviour, but as the King 
who will judge. And so there will be two kinds of mourning on that day when Jesus comes again. One, mourning and grieving for the sin that led him to the cross. But also peace and grace, knowing that he loves us and that he has forgiven us. But there will be a different kind of mourning as those who see Jesus. They will see that he is the king who does sit on the on the throne, that he is the king of kings, he is the Lord of lords, and he will carry out his judgment. Because he is the Alpha and Omega. He is the one who was and is to come. He is the Almighty. He's the A to the Z. He's the first, the last, the present, past, and future. He is the Almighty. I am who I am. And it is here that we find our hope. It is here that we find blessing. It is here that we find joy. It is here that we find grace and peace. It is here that we find life. And this is the letter that is written to a people who are being faced with threats of persecution and pressures to conform. But not just that, it's the everyday life. These are people who, just like us, face the 9 to 5, the Monday to Friday, the pressures of daily life. And this is what John writes to them to encourage them. That there is blessing to be found as we read God's word, as we hear it, and as we treasure it. That grace and peace is found not in all that we seek to achieve and pursue, but in God. In worshipping and serving Him. Keeping our eyes on Him. The one who is, who was, and is to come. What does that look like in our daily lives? It starts in, in just simply asking. Asking that our days might be filled with his presence. Asking that we might know Jesus in our day, that we might treasure him. And that's where it starts, simply by asking. Too often we go throughout our day without even asking. Start our day by asking Jesus to be present, to be our treasure. But then making use of the tools that he has given us. We, you may have heard us say the means of grace or spiritual disciplines. These are things that we can do and they're things that we try and do as a church. Right? The exercise of reading the Bible is not just to learn, but if I can say to yearn for Jesus. It's one thing to learn about Jesus, it's a whole other thing to yearn for Him. We have to treasure Him. We can't treasure something that we don't value. And so as you read your Bible, move from the learning to yearning to know the treasure that is Jesus. And in our life groups, our goal is not to just fill our heads with more knowledge, but to find the treasures that are there so that we might love and worship and serve God more. Because that's where grace and peace is found. 
as we pray, it's not just, again, it's not just this asking, but it's entering into conversation. And that's something that we're not particularly good at because it seems one directional. But in prayer, there is a listening. And that happens through His Holy Spirit. His Spirit dwells within us. And as we treasure Jesus, as we treasure His Word, the Spirit uses that to speak to us. As we pray, we listen. God, what are you saying? As I deal with this situation, as I deal with my kids, as I deal with my work, as I deal with my friends, as I deal with myself and my sin and my brokenness, God, what are you saying? To hear from Him and to treasure that. But also, as we do that, to move in forgiveness. As we pray, as we seek, as we confess, and as we seek God's forgiveness, we need to move from guilt to grace. To understand what the grace of God means for us in our daily lives means there's freedom. There's peace, there's comfort, there's joy. But that means surrendering our guilt to God. And, and again, this is something that some, a lot of people have trouble with. They hold on to their guilt. They come to God and they come in their guilt. They confess their sins and they ask for His forgiveness. But they hold on to it. We need to let that go. Take hold of grace because that's where freedom is found. In our fellowship, as we gather together, we have great community, but we need to move to communion. To commune with God and to commune with one another. And that's hard because that means being open, being vulnerable, being honest, being humble. And yet that's one of the gifts that God has given us, to be in community. But more than that, to commune with one another as his people. And we serve. We serve. And to move from a service of labor to a service of love. To move from a week to week of here I am on a roster, here I got to do this, I got to do that, I need to prepare. To go, what a privilege. I have the privilege each week to be a priest in the kingdom of God. I get to go freely each week. Each one of you in Christ is a priest who is able to serve. Whether that's serving our kids and having the privilege of showing them Jesus. He's Jesus. To do that from week to week. Or whether it's to come and to use your musical gifts and talents. To bring people into the presence of God. Or whether that's to use your other gifts, administration, technical or tangible gifts. To do all those other things that allow God's people to come together. Not just to labor, but to love God. And as we worship, moving from the music... Moving from what we do on a Sunday to the Monday. Moving our worship from what we do on a Sunday to the Monday to Friday, Saturday. The mundane parts of life. 
whether that's rounding up kids at home, whether that's going to work, whether it's dealing with difficult people, whether it's sitting alone in office because everyone's working at home and you're all, all there by yourself. Moving from just what we do on a Sunday t- to worship God each and every day in the midst of the mundane that our lives might somehow glorify Him. That somehow we might make the most of this King that we have the privilege of serving. And asking for help in all of these things. As we seek to live our lives for God. As we seek to find the grace and the peace that comes from Him, we don't do it alone. And it is together that we are able to glorify Him and together to declare to Him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you, the God who is, who was, and is to come. The Spirit that ministers and serves the church of God and all her people. We come to the Son, to Jesus Christ, who loves us, who freed us by his blood who makes us a kingdom and priests for God and his Father. To him be glory forever and ever. Help us to keep pursuing that. Help us to treasure that that you have given us in Jesus. And help us to live for him and find our grace and our peace in him. And so this we ask in his name. Amen.